You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. For the next four Sundays, we're going to be in the first three chapters of Matthew, looking at four specific, unique, hope-generating names of the baby that was born to us, the savior that was given to us. Well, first of all, good morning. I'm glad you're all here today. It's good to see you. Those watching online as well. Secondly, we begin a brand new Christmas series today called Hope Has a Name. It seems to me that one of the many things that people have lost in 2020 is hope. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of wavering in hope a little bit. I would think that maybe all of us could use a good biblical reminder in a large dosage that Jesus Christ is the hope and the only hope for the world and the only hope for our hearts. The incomparable J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, writes this. It is here, the thing that happened at the first Christmas That the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word was made flesh. God became man. There was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the son of God was reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Highland family, it is a really, really good thing. That every year, oh, about this time, we remember afresh that God became man. And the more we think about this reality that God has become man, that Jesus was born to us, a Savior was given to us, the more our minds are awed and our emotions are stirred and our lives are challenged. So here's my hope. That we stagger out of Highland today. We're out of your den at home with this brand new reminder again in awe and in wonder that God has come to us. You've got to see this. Would you turn with me, please, to the very first chapter of the very first book in the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. If you'll find your way there, it should be fairly easy to find the very beginning of the New Testament right after Malachi. Let's go to verse 18. And once you get there, go ahead and keep your Bible open to this exact place. The remainder of, the mor- of this morning, this will be the only place that we're in together today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now let me just kind of warn you, we're going to pause along the way in this short little narrative, this short passage today, just to make sure that everything is soaking in. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I hope you have your Bible with you today or your smartphone. Let's just stay right there. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ stop we didn't get very far I know Jesus the Christ Christ is is not his last name you're a very very mature congregation I know that you know this but Christ is from the Greek word Christos which means the anointed one or the appointed one and so we see here that the birth of Jesus this anointed promised one this appointed promised one, this anointed one that we've waited for, this appointed one that we have waited for. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, let's pause again. Betrothed is, is kind of like engagement, but not really. It's very different than our 21st century understanding of, of engagement. When you were betrothed in, in New Testament times, it was much more like you were, were married. Not just promised to be married, but you were actually married. Legally, you were married when you were betrothed. The only thing left to happen, and this could be an entire year later, was for the groom and, and the bride, or the husband and the wife legally, to go to the parents of the groom's house, the husband's house, and there their marriage would be consummated. You're welcome, parents, for me using the word consummated today. There it would be consummated. And thank you, Lord, we no longer do honeymoons at our father-in-law's house as well. So that's kind of what's happening in, in the New Testament time here. They were waiting to go to Joseph's parents' house for, for the marriage to be complete, for the marriage to be consummated. So in betrothal, Joseph and Mary were contractually, they were legally married. So to break it off would really be the equivalent to divorce, which is, we'll understand a little bit more later on. That's one of the options on the table for Joseph was to divorce his wife, legally his wife Mary. Maybe that makes a lot more sense now. Matthew adds here in verse 18, before they came together, there's the consummation, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And Matthew makes sure that we understand this to kind of clue us in that something supernatural is going on here. So just consider this scenario or scenario if you're more of a, Downton Abbey type of person or the crown type of person. The scenario here, Joseph asks Mary to marry him and she says yes. So let me say it one more time. The marriage is contractually or legally there at this point. The only thing left is is the honeymoon. But before that, you see that word right there in verse 18? Before, Before that, he finds out that she is pregnant. Now, just put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He knows that he has not physically been with her, but she is pregnant. So the only natural possibility in Joseph's mind at this point is that Mary has seen or has been with another man. So imagine his emotions at this point. He's about to bring Mary into his parents' home only to find out that she's pregnant, which is exactly what it says in verse 18. She was found to be with child. Verse 19, let's continue on here. Matthew 1, 19 gives us a glimpse now into, into Joseph's perspective on this. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph has two options. He can publicly disgrace her or shame her, or he can privately divorce her. In compassion, he chooses the latter. Uh, Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, stop. Did you see this? Notice that Matthew reminds us as readers and the angel reminds Joseph that he's from the line of King David. So not just Joseph, but Joseph, son of David. Tying him back to the genealogy, if you want your eyes just to go back up a little bit into the passage, verse 6 speaks of King David. Verse 16 speaks of Joseph being in the lineage or the line of David. A little teaser for next Sunday morning. This is where we're going to be next week. 
We're going to actually move backwards a little bit next week. We start at the beginning of Matthew next Sunday morning. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's step back just a little bit because we've all been at a lot of Christmas sermons before and this story has been told for about 2,000 years now. And so we hear the phrase virgin birth and we just kind of go right past that. But I want you to understand this is the first time Joseph has ever heard of this. This is absolutely unheard of for a virgin birth to occur. He hears here in this passage that which is conceived in, speaking of your wife to be, legally your wife is from the Holy Spirit. So things just went from baffling to bizarre. But the angel ain't done talking. If you'll excuse my Texan, the angel is not done talking. Matthew 1 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He goes back and picks up a passage from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is so striking, Highland, which means God with us. Here's the title of today's sermon. Hope has a name. It is Jesus, the Son of God. This is our first of four names that we will look at, unique names that are hope-producing names that we will look at for these next four Sundays. First of all today, hope it definitely has a name. That hope is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. So let's do a deep dive into the passages we just read just then to see the King of creation entering into the world, and let's see what Matthew is going to tell us about the divine eternal nature of Jesus and the divine eternal purposes of Jesus. For you note-takers, it's really easy today. It's point four subpoints point four subpoints point four subpoints lunch <laughs> first divine eternal nature of Jesus remember he is the son of god here's the divine eternal nature of Jesus we see this in verse 18 just by his very name Jesus Christ which means again the anointed savior his very name shows his divine nature. Jesus is from the Hebrew name Yehoshua. You might recognize it as Joshua. Yehoshua, a Yeho, you almost can hear the name of God, Yahweh. And then Yesha in Hebrew is the word for salvation or to save. So the very name of Jesus we get, begin to see his very divine nature. His very name means God saves. The very name of Jesus means God's salvation. But there's a lot of Jesuses in the world. There's a lot of Jesuses in Waco. What makes this Jesus different? He's Jesus Christ. Christos. Let me say it again. It means the one set apart. The one who is unique. The one who is anointed. The one who has been promised that we were waiting for. So we see even in his very name, the divine eternal nature of Jesus. He is Jesus Christ. He is the anointed Savior. Second thing we see is in verse 18 and in verse 23. Born of a virgin mother. This is a unique sign. In fact, if you think about it, a very unique sign of the birth of God's son. 
Now, when Matthew quotes, you see here in verse 23, when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he doesn't capture the entire scripture. There's a little part right before then that I think is, is really important. I know that the Holy Spirit told Matthew what to write down, so I'm not taking away from how he recorded the story. But he does skip a little part of verse 14 because the very beginning of verse 14 says this, the Lord himself will give a sign. A virgin will conceive. I don't know about you, friends, but that's a pretty clear sign. Births happen all the time. Virgin births, not so much. So this identifies the divine nature of Jesus. Here's the third thing we see also from verse 18. He's from the Holy Spirit. This Christ, this Savior, Jesus, he is from the Holy Spirit. You see, if Jesus was born of two human parents, he would not be exempt from the guilt of Adam's sin And could not be the spotless lamb of God. If Jesus had a human mother and a human father both. He would not be exempt from the guilt or from the seed or from the lineage if you will. Of Adam's sin and therefore he could not be the spotless lamb. So in some mysterious and glorious and beautiful way. The Holy Spirit creates an embryo inside of Mary's womb. So that Jesus then. And Jesus now today. And Jesus always will be the connection between God and man. He will forever be the bridge. You see, he was carried by a human, but he was conceived by the Spirit of God. Here's the fourth thing where we see the divine, eternal nature of Jesus. His birth came, or the the conception came with an announcing angel. Angels are messengers from God, messengers from the divine, if you will. They do the bidding of God. They communicate for God. They don't say anything more nor anything less than what God has commanded them to say. So here we see in this passage, in verse 20, the angel, a courier of God, says that this child in her is from the Holy Spirit, a message from God through his messenger to the recipient of that message, Joseph, this is going to be a divine child. So what then about the divine eternal purposes of Jesus? If that's his nature, what about the divine eternal purposes of Jesus? Remember, he is the son of God. Number one, he has come to save. Do you see this in in your Bible? I know it's still open. Look at verse 21. For he will save his people. This is the divine purpose of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. It was God's will that his prized creation, you, Humanity would be brought back to him, reconciled to him, and Jesus, his cross and his blood, would be the plan of God to redeem, purchase back, and save God's people. Secondly, this is a little bit more specific than point number one, to rescue his people from sin. This is the divine and eternal purpose of Jesus, to rescue his people from sin. We see this also in verse 21, just expand it out a little bit more, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a very encouraging name to weighted down sinners. His name is an encouraging name to those who are weighted down by sin. And let's not fool ourselves, brothers and sisters and friends. Every one of us in this house, we needed rescue. 
If you're not saved, you need, present tense, rescue. Jesus came to rescue his people from sin. His very name, just a reminder from seven minutes ago, his very name means he will save. He will save us from that thing that separates us from God, namely our arrogance, our rebellion, our self-centeredness, our sin. Thirdly, and I apologize, I've not preached this enough during Christmas time to you for the last seven years. Here's the divine eternal purpose of Jesus, to fulfill God's word. He came to fulfill the spoken word of God. Verse 22. All of this, all of what? Everything we just read. This incredible narrative, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. An eternal purpose of Jesus was to fulfill the eternal promise of Scripture. That's good. I'm going to say that one more time for you. Here's, here's Christmas in a word, in a sentence. An eternal purpose of Jesus was to fulfill the eternal promise of Scripture. You see, the, the promise here is, is in verse 22 and verse 23. It was spoken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before from the prophet Isaiah, a sovereign God had made a sovereign promise in Isaiah chapter 7 to have not fulfilled that promise would make God not sovereign. So Jesus' eternal purpose, one of his divine purposes was to complete, to fulfill what God has spoken, what God said would happen. Here's the fourth thing, verse 23. I love this. It's the last three words of verse 23. God is now with us. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here's the fourth divine or eternal purpose of Jesus. God is now with us. I don't know about you and kind of where you are in this chapter of life, but for me personally, this is where the deepest hope is produced. That God is with us. In the middle of a pandemic, uncertainty, fear, division. And let me just say, it's not just division within our nation. It's divisions within the church. My deepest hope is is this. God is with us. This once unapproachable, mysterious God is now here and known. Man, that, you, you can write that on a Christmas card. So I'm going to say that one more time. This once unapproachable, mysterious God is now both here and known. You see, Jesus is God approachable. Jesus is God unmysterious. So Jesus is divine and eternal, both in his nature and in his purposes So consider this with me. As the Son of God, then, Jesus is fully God. As the Son of God, he is not less than or has a little bit of God or kind of resembles God. As the Son of God, Jesus is fully God. He possesses the full range of divine characteristics. Everything that God can do and has done, Jesus can do and has done. And Matthew's going to show us that. I took some time this week, and I would challenge you. I know it's a busy week for probably a lot of you. Just read ahead a little bit in the Gospel of Matthew. 
and see all these things that, that Jesus is able to do. Here's what Matthew's going to show us. First of all, as the Son of God, he is fully God. We see that he has power over disease. You see, and we know this, in 2020, more than any other year that I've been alive, man does not have power over disease. But God, in Christ Jesus, fully God, has power over disease. Able to cleanse lepers, give sight to the blind, cause the lame to, to walk again, all by simply speaking healing into reality. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 4, they're bringing Jesus, all these sick people, those afflicted with various diseases and, and pains. They're oppressed by demons, uh, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he heals them. How does he do that? Because he's God. And not just God, he's fully God. He has power over disease. Secondly, he has command over nature. It's probably one of our favorite stories, if you grew up in church, from Matthew chapter 8, where the disciples were panicking losing their minds out on the Sea of Galilee because this huge storm had come up. Jesus wakes up, goes to the front, the stern of the boat, and he rebukes the wind, the waves, and the sea. And all those things immediately obey him because he's not man, he's God. He has command over nature. You remember how the disciples responded? They responded, um, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thirdly, he has authority over sin to forgive sin. Man can't do that. If we could forgive our own sin, there would be no need for a cross. But you see, Jesus alone, because he is God, he has authority over sin to forgive sin. Again, you don't have to turn there. It's one of my favorite stories. In Matthew chapter 9, again, you'll probably recognize the story. Jesus was back in his hometown of Capernaum or kind of his base for ministry at Capernaum. And there were some friends that brought their paralytic friend to see Jesus, but there's a lot of people in the house. They couldn't get in, so what did they start doing? They climbed to the top of the, of the roof and began to pull out the thatch. And they lowered their friend while Jesus was talking. This is such a great scene in my mind. I'm hoping that someone caught a video on this. We're going to see this in heaven. I'd love to see people's faces, especially the homeowner, as all of a sudden the, the, the roof begins to cave in. And then down on a mat is lowered this man who cannot walk. And his friends, I can just see all eight of their eyeballs peering over that little hole, looking to make sure, you know, that they're, they, they, they haven't far enough down. Are people paying attention? Are people upset? And then Jesus, y'all, you know the story. It's such a great story. Jesus says to him, basically, get up and walk. And your sins are forgiven. That sent the teachers of the law into a tailspin. Wait a minute, you... You can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. I wish so badly Jesus would have said at that point, yes, you are correct. Jesus not only healed this man, for some reason that wasn't interesting enough to the teachers of the law, but then he forgave this man's sins. See, only God can do that. And Jesus, being fully God, has authority over sin to forgive sin. And here's the fourth thing. Jesus also has control over death. Man does not have control over death. If Jesus was only a good teacher, he would have no control over death. 
But because he is fully God, he has control over death. It's evident that he is able to bring others back to life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, if you're going to read ahead at some point this week, you'll see that he brings this little girl back to life. He not only can do that, he also is able to bring himself back to life. Just look at that screen. Those four claims are extravagant. But it's the portrait of Jesus that Matthew gives to us. Jesus is fully able to identify with us. We're going to look at that next Sunday morning. Jesus, the Son of Man. He identifies with us, but today I'm talking about Jesus, Son of God. He also fully identifies as God. This is the defining reality of the Gospels that so many people find so incomprehensible. But to those who believe... It's irresistible that this infinitely great God who is mighty in power, mighty in love, mighty in mercy has come to us in Jesus. Yesterday morning, I got here at the church early to start flipping some more through Matthew. And again, you don't have to turn there right now, but I saw flipping through Matthew in Matthew chapter four and in Matthew chapter eight, that Jesus is able to heal the sick. He came to feed the hungry. I saw that in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15. Jesus came to bless the humble, especially the humble in spirit. Matthew chapter five, Jesus came to bind up broken hearts. You may be here today with a broken heart. Jesus binds up. He heals hearts that are broken. Matthew 6 and Matthew 11. He came to deliver the demon possessed to free them from the torment. Matthew chapter 9. And I love this. Jesus came to give us rest. How many in this house just need some rest? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. All who are weary, all who are burdened. Jesus said, I will give you rest. So Jesus came to do all these things. But as great as all of those things are, and those are incredible things, that's not what he ultimately came to do. Ultimately, Highland, Jesus as the Son of God has come to rescue the lost. He has come to a sin-stained world filled with sin-stained men and women to take the penalty of our sin in the place of sinners. Think of it. You and I, with our sinful nature, separated from God, condemned in front of God, cut off from God, deserving of death, eternal death. And then God has come to us through the virgin birth of the Son, Jesus. He didn't just come to us, he came among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. So Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I deserved to die. Then he rose from the grave, conquering the enemy that you and I could not conquer. There is no greater story in the world in this reality that Christ has come and he is fully God and this is the magnitude of what is celebrated at Christmas time the birth of Jesus the Christ the son of God would you stand with me let's pray what a treasure 
What a gift, what a story, what a reality, what a name. Jesus, God's salvation. Christ, the anointed one we have desperately longed for. They, not meaning Mary and Joseph, they meaning Highland. We will call him Emmanuel, for God is with us. What hope-producing reality is this? That we are not alone. Once we were far away from God, once he was unapproachable, once he was mysterious, but now in Christ, God has come near. God is with us now. What joy. What hope. Jesus, we praise you today for the worthiness, the power of your name. We just need to be reminded of this year after year, about this time of year, that God became a man. And so we pray. And so we sing.